Welcome to New Life, everybody. Welcome. If you guys would, go ahead and try to find a seat. That'll be great. That'll be wonderful. I want to say hello to all of you that are worshiping with us here in our main auditorium. I want to say a big hello to all of you that are worshiping with us out in North Platte right now and down in the venue. Uh, Yeah, I'm excited about that. Yeah. You know what? Did you guys realize that every single Sunday we have about 60 logins of people watching or worshiping with us online? 60 logins. Each login, you know, I guess, uh, you know, on average probably represents two people. Uh, My wife and I logged in when we were in Jerusalem. So if you log in, maybe it's you and your wife or maybe you and your kids. So we have a whole nother like 60 some folks our logins at least, maybe 120 people that are worshiping with us online right now because they're traveling or they're checking out our church. And I want to say to all of you that are worshiping with us online, please utilize the chat feature um, when, you're, when you're on version. You can actually interact with each other. And at the end of the service, you can, uh, you can even pray for one another um, you know, via the chat. So I want to encourage you guys that are uh, linked in that way just to interact with one another. Uh, so anyways... Welcome, everybody. Glad you're here. If you're a guest with us in any of our venues, we take that as a privilege. It's an honor for us to have you worshiping with us. We know that you could have gone to any church, any place, but you've walked into the doors of new life today, and we take that very serious. So we want to make sure that your experience is top-notch to the best of our ability. If there's anything that we can do, look for people that are wearing lanyards with name tags. Those are folks that are here to serve you and to help you today, okay? Hey, listen, in a couple of weeks, we've got something big happening. What happens in a couple of weeks? Easter. Easter. Yes. Good job, main auditorium people. You guys are on the ball. I love it. But you were led by Pastor Nate. He's paid to say Easter. So um, anyways, that's, that's what happens. But yeah, we got Easter coming up in a couple of weeks. We've got an assignment. I personally have an assignment that I need your help with. Are you ready for this? I asked you last week, would you make crosses that represent your spiritual journey? I remember when I said that to you, um, at least those of you that are, are here in our main auditorium, I had that weird look on faces, like make a cross that represents my spiritual journey. What would that look like? But many of you went away and you started building crosses and we've already, we've already got crosses back and some of them are fantastic. All right. No cross is a bad cross. Um, But the cross that I'm asking you to build is for a special purpose. On Easter, in all of our venues, we're going to give an opportunity for people to follow Christ. Let them come down to the front of our auditorium. So we're going to pray for them. And then we're going to grab a cross that's freestanding on the stage, and we're going to give it to them to remind them of the commitment that they've made to Christ. So these crosses that I'm asking you to build, I want them to represent your spiritual journey because everyone's spiritual journey looks different. Like if I was to build a cross, I would have to build it out of metal. Um, And I would build it out of metal for one purpose. And just say that in the past, I've had some hard years of my life. And I would probably blacken it. I'd probably take a flame to it and blacken the bottom of it just so that it, it really looked like it came out of darkness. And it would come up to the top and it would be shiny and I would take a buffer to it and I would shine the top of it just so it really was, it was brilliant. And along the vertical uh, beam up to the horizontal arms of the cross, I'd put, I'd put like chunks and, you know, take a hatchet and hit it a couple of times or a saw and make some jagged edges to it because I would just say, climbing out of that darkness to where God is taking me to, has, there's been some jagged moments along the way. But my hope is in Christ. And I would build my cross. It would look something like that. What would your cross look like? 
Because we need a bunch of different crosses on three auditorium stages, you know, for all of our services, so that when we pray with people at the altar, we can turn around and we can grab a cross that we feel like best represents their journey, give it to them, and send them out the door. That Sunday, I'm going to be preaching a message where I'm going to build a cross on our stage here. Uh, With my own two hands, I'm going to build a cross. Maybe I'm going to get to use power tools. Uh, We'll see. We'll see. The staff might, uh, they might have to put me through like a training course to make sure that I don't build the cross and lose digits. Uh, I want to keep all my digits. Uh, So we're we're going to build a cross and we're going to give people a cross. I need your help. Please don't think today, if you're hearing my voice, that you know, oh, well, other people are going to do it. I don't probably have to. No, we need a lot of them. So you know what? You need, you need to build the cross for your own spiritual journey yourself to remind you of where God has brought you from, who you are, and where God wants to take you. So please join in with us, and let's go on that journey together. Um, and in the next couple, couple of weeks, we'll see God do some incredible things in your life and through your life. It'll be amazing. Well, we are in our current teaching series, Essentials. We have landed in a chapter, Luke chapter 15, that I think is one of the you know, uh, most profound and, um, and powerful chapters in the New Testament. Jesus is helping us understand God's heart for the lost. So today I want to ask you, have you ever lost something? Maybe, how about this? Raise your hand if you lost something important in the last 30 days. You lost something important the last 30 days. Okay, all right, we've got hands up all over the place. I'm sure there's hands out in North Platte. Uh, There's hands in the gym, yeah. Um, Now, with with this thing that was lost, how important was it to find it? Well, it depends, right? It depends. If 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 you lost something that was really important, it would, it would, you would do anything to find it, right? But I mean, like if you lost your cell phone, you would look long and hard for that, wouldn't you? What, what would be the first thing that you would do if you lost your cell phone? Hey, you'd say, I would say to my wife, honey, call it. And as soon as I do that, she knows, why, why do you want me to call? I lost my phone. Oh, you lost your phone. So, so you want to go to somebody inconspicuous. Like, here's my number. Would you call this, please? So, um, what about if you lost your keys? Man, you would search all over the place, right, to find your keys, right? Of course you would. Last week, my, my family and I, we were, we were in St. Louis. Um, my, uh, my grandmother passed away. She was 91. She got a promotion. She went to be with Jesus. It was awesome for her. Um, we had a great time as a family. But uh, I was going into this place to get some coffee, and I had the key fob in my pocket, and I'd been driving. I got out of the car, and our car, when the key fob leaves the car, the car beeps at you or honks at you three times very quickly, like, you know, like that. And it just lets everyone else know, hey, I'm smarter than you. That's what my car is trying to say. Basically, I know where the key's at, and you don't know. So I walk around to the side where my wife is at. She rolls the window down. I go, here, honey, here's the key. And I went in to get the coffee. And I get the coffee. I come back out. How long does that take me? Like five minutes. Five minutes to get my coffee, come back out, and I go, hey, can I have the key? You didn't give me the key. What? Five minutes ago, you rolled the window down, remember? I handed you the key. No, you didn't give me the key. No, I'm serious. I gave you the key. I'm not losing my mind, all right? I've lost other things, but not my mind. So we start searching all over the car to try to find this. She's ripping out, I mean, she's pulling out the bags. We're looking through the bags in the front seat. It opens the door, kind of gets out of the car. I'm looking around, and then all of a sudden my wife goes, oh, here's the keys. They're in my pocket the whole time. Okay, so we've all had that happen, right? Haven't you? I've had that happen. I know it's slightly embarrassing, but we've all had it happen. And when you lose important things, 
man, it, re- it requires you to search for them, right? So let's just say that you lost, you lost something that was very passionate to you. What would you do to find it? So some of you raised your hand earlier and you said, yeah, I had lost something. But let's think now about some things that you might be passionate about. Like you're passionate about your cell phone. But if you lost it, if you lost it, would you go to the extreme of giving your life to find it? If you lost your cell phone, would you go to the extreme of giving your life to find it? I hope not. Just say no. Just to make me happy, all right? Just say no. Some of you are like, well, I don't know. I just got, I just got a brand new phone. I mean, you know, I didn't get insurance on it, so I don't know. I don't know. All right, let's, say, let's go to something else. Uh, let's say that you're passionate about, how many guys are passionate about dogs? Any passionate about dog people? How many passionate about cats? Okay, there you go. The cat people were hoping I was going to say that. I knew it. How many guys are passionate about neither? Okay, all right, there we go. Now we got everybody. Now we got everybody. Okay, let's say you're, you're passionate about your cat or your dog and you lost it. Would you give your life to find it again? Good. The answer should be no. All right? I know you love it. I know tears are starting to come. Like, no, my puppy, my puppy. But you would definitely not give your life, okay? Definitely don't give your life. How about if you lo- you're passionate about your money? Like, I mean, you work hard to get it. I'm not talking about it dominates you. I'm just saying that you're passionate about using it in a wise sense. And you made an investment or you did something and you lost a large chunk of money. Would you give your life to find that money? No, absolutely not. But let's say you're passionate about your children and you lost one of your children. Would you give your life to find the child? Yes. Okay, good. Good. Because children that are sitting with their parents right now, we're going, well, what what are you going to say, mom? (laughs) You know, how's this going to go down? So hopefully in all the venues, you resounded with a big yes. What makes that child so much different than all those other items? That's a rhetorical question. You don't have to answer that. What makes it? Obviously, there's something supernatural. There's a supernatural bond between you and that child. You recognize that God is the one who blessed you with that child. You have invested a lot into that child. That child isn't something that's equal to at all. It's not even close to being equal to any type of materialistic item. That child has your DNA, it has part of you. It's like a mini you walking around on this earth. There is a lot about that child that you love and you care for, way beyond something that is materialistic. And that little example begins to help you understand what God's heart is towards the loss in this humanity. What God's heart is towards those who are outside of a relationship with him. See, one of the things that Genesis says about you and me is that when God created humanity, he looked at it and he said it was very good. Very good. You could almost see a smile on his face like, yeah, man, now that is good. Did you realize? It was very good, by the way. Did you realize that everything else God created, he just said it was good? But that when he creates man, he goes, it is very good. There's something that separates you from all of God's creation. Separates you from this earth. It separates you from all the planets in the sky. It separates you from all the stars, from all the galaxies. 
It separates you from the vastness of this universe. You are separate from all of those things, and you are elevated above all of them. You have a greater value than anything else. You are not a cell phone to God. You are not a dog or a cat to God. You are a human being like the child, and God is willing to give all that he has. He even sent his son Jesus to give his life on the cross to find you. What does that tell us about God's heart? This is the number one priority in God's heart, to seek and to save the lost. Jesus uses Luke chapter 15 to help us understand God's heart towards seeking and saving the lost. And in Luke chapter 15, we find that, you know, Jesus has been, brace yourself, the Jesus that you follow, the Jesus that many of you have given your life to, the Jesus that some of you are here today questioning whether you should surrender your life to him or not, Jesus is guilty of hanging out with the sexually immoral, the drunkards, and the tax collectors. That Jesus is found by the, by the Pharisees, he's found by the teachers of the law, and he's accused of these things and in, in such a way as being guilty of not being, A, the son of God, and not even being, you know, a true representative of God. That Jesus is found guilty because he's hanging out with sinners and tax collectors. Jesus was cornered in this chapter by the Pharisees. Once again, they cornered him often, trying to get evidence on him so that they might be able to put him in jail, shut him down, or in the end, even as we know now, even kill him. That Jesus was cornered by the Pharisees, once again, trying to get the evidence that would make him guilty of putting him in jail And it's in this chapter that Jesus politely, kindly, with compassion, starts unveiling God's heart towards the lost. He does it by telling three quick stories. The first story is about about a shepherd. And he turns to these teachers of the law and he says to them, Hey guys, let's say that one of you is a shepherd and you go and you have a hundred sheep and one of your sheep gets lost, what would you do? Just like I'd been asking you questions all morning. That's how Jesus communicates with these guys. What would you do if you lost one of those sheep? Wouldn't you, almost by obligation, have to go after the lost sheep and find him and bring him back? And without letting them answer... Basically, the answer to that would be like we talked about earlier. Yes, of course, you would have to go do that. And Jesus says, so when the shepherd goes to try to find the one lost sheep, when he finds it with joy in his heart, he picks the sheep up, he puts them on his shoulders, and he brings the sheep back to the herd. Did you realize, teachers of the law, that when that happens, that there is more celebration over one sinner who comes to know God, that there is incredible grace, there is forgiveness for the lost when they are found. And before they can reach out and grab his neck and choke him, he goes into story number two. Oh, and by the way, there was a woman, woman who had 10 silver coins. Not only were these 10 silver coins worth a monetary value that would sustain her for a while, but these 10 Silver coins could have also been very symbolic to her and be very personal and close to her. And she lost one of them. So you know what she did? She searched the whole house because this coin had such great value. She searched it and she cleaned it and she looked in every corner. And when she found it, she said, 
Well, I found it. And she invited all of her friends around and she threw a great party and a great celebration because something that she valued had been lost and that lost thing had been found. And then Jesus says, oh, and by the way, in heaven, there is a great celebration. There is great joy that happens in heaven when one lost sinner comes to know the Father. And right as they're getting ready to choke him, Right as they're getting ready to, you know, try to probably grab him and throw him in jail, he goes, oh, I got, a, I got one more story. There's a father, and he has two sons. And the younger son decides that he wants his inheritance, which culturally would be wrong. But he wants it, and he asks for it, and the father gives it to him anyways. And the younger son takes his entire inheritance and moves away from the father and from his older brother. And he goes out, and he squanders it, and he wastes it. He wastes it on parties and prostitutes and just foolish spending until he has nothing and he's working for a farmer with pigs. And he's even so hungry that he wants to eat the food that the pigs have. And one day, the son wakes up and realizes, you know, how, how bad his life is and how all of his decisions have led him to this difficult place. That he decides in his heart, I should repent to my father and at least go back and just work for him. I should tell him I was wrong. I treated you horribly. I should have never have done that to you. I've sinned against both heaven and against you, Father. And so the son gets it in his heart to go back. And on his way back, on his way back to the father, the father sees him while he's a long ways off. And the father goes running after him. And he embraces him and he finds him. And he, he, he pulls him close to himself. And with the smell of pig all over him, he reaches out and he kisses him on his face. And while the son tries to repent to the father, the father hears the repentance of the son. And he says, you know what? You're not going to come back and just work for me. You're going to come back and be a son. So he takes the ring that only those of the close family would wear. And he sticks the ring on to the son's hand. And then he clothes him again. He pulls off all that junky clothes, makes sure he has a bath. And he clothes them again and gives him the rightful place as a son working on his farm. He's so happy about it, he takes this fatted calf that they've been feeding special, special food to and raising for a party, and he decides to throw the party now. He throws it, he invites all of his friends, and he goes, my son, which was lost, has come home. So Jesus told this story to help us understand what God's heart is towards the lost. Jesus used this opportunity to open up the eyes of humanity to help us truly see how powerful God's heart is towards the lost. This sermon is profound, and it's so important because it debunks the argument, and it debunks the lie that God is somewhat angry with sinners. How could an angry God run out and hug a sinful son? How does that happen? An angry God doesn't run out and hug a sinful son. An angry God goes, when he comes to his gate, he sends his guards down, and he says, you stop him right there. And until he gives you a good excuse of what he did with all the money, and until he tells you he's, worthy, he's not worthy of being a son, but he'll just be a servant, then you don't let him back through that gate. But a loving father sees a lost son, and he goes running after him, and he embraces him, and he puts his arms around him. This, this passage debunks an angry God. Now, God, God hates sin, but I'm telling you something about God. God loves humanity. God loves you. If you're hearing my voice today, you need to know something today. God loves you. 
There's nothing that you can do to make God love you more, and there's nothing you can do, you can do to cause God to love you less. God's love for you is constant and consistent. He'll chase you all the days of your life, Psalms 23 tells us. And in Luke 15, evidently, when he sees you coming back to him, he'll run after you and he'll embrace you. This sermon was also important because it calibrates the heart of a believer. It, it acts like a spiritual chiropractor for your heart, and it realigns your life back in alignment with God's heart for humanity. That's what Luke chapter 15 does. We need to hear a sermon out of Luke chapter 15 almost every year to get our hearts recalibrated and our lives you know, reconnected with the true priority of God, the number one priority of God, which is... Seek and save the lost. So out of Luke chapter 15, there are a few essential truths I want to drive home to put more blocks in our wall, which, by the way, our wall is getting big. It's growing. There's truth that God's putting into our hearts out of his word as we're reading through these essential top 100 passages of God's word. So with the first essential truth that we want to talk about is that God is passionate about finding the lost. So let's jump into Luke chapter 15. Let's look at verse 4 really quickly. It says this, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep. Again, this is Jesus, remember? He's talking to those religious leaders. Has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country, in a safe place, and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Doesn't he do that? Of course he does. Why? Because a shepherd is responsible to take care of his sheep. That's why Jesus asked the question in a rhetorical sense. Because they would have to answer yes. Or otherwise, that person isn't worthy of being a shepherd. A shepherd has to care for his sheep. A shepherd in that, in that time period would have literally put a name on every sheep that he was taking care of. It wasn't just a number. One, two, three, four. You know, it was Jamie. It was Fred. It was Sally. It was Jeff. So yes, yes, he would go after the one that's lost because he's a shepherd and he's trustworthy as well. That's one of the things we find out about a a shepherd is that you can trust him with your life because he's looking out for your best interest. You may not feel that way when he's leading you up the mountain and down the other side, but he's leading you to the water or he's leading you, like we talked about out of Psalms 23, he's leading you beside the quiet waters. Or he's leading you to the green pastures. But God is that shepherd. Jesus uses this example because he himself says that he is the good shepherd. He is, a, he is in the representation of God's character and God's heart communicating to us that God the Father is like a shepherd. He knows you. He knows your name. He knows right where you're at. He knows when you've drifted away. It doesn't, it's not a surprise to him. He doesn't all of a sudden, you know, every Sunday count. Oh, well, what in the world? Can't believe it. Steve, Steve missed church again. Can't believe that. No, God doesn't, we're not signing attendance rosters at New Life so that God can keep track of where you're at. God knows where you're at. God is the one who's seeking you, and he desperately wants to find you. So to drive the point home even harder, let's go to the the story about the coin for a second. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house 
and search carefully until she finds it. Yes, she's passionate about finding it, just like God is passionate about finding you. That's why right now at this very moment, while you and me sit in this auditorium today, Jesus died on a cross over 2,000 years ago so that you might find God. And if you're here today and you're searching for God, you need to know something That God made a way for you to have relationship with him so that sins can be forgiven because he's passionate about you. And he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross. And so right now, God is searching after you by the price that was paid through his son Jesus. Did you realize that every minute that goes by is a minute of grace? That God extends time by every minute you and me sit here so that one more person might hear the good news of Jesus before Christ returns again? Every moment is a minute of grace that God is wanting more people to come to know him and be found by him. That every moment that goes by right now, the Holy Spirit is pursuing the heart of people, enticing them to be followers of Christ. Right now, right where we sit, those things are happening right now. And someone in this place and someone hearing my voice today is going to hear that enticing voice of the Holy Spirit. And they're going to receive the gift of grace that comes through Christ. And they're going to follow Jesus today, here at New Life. That's going to happen. It happens every week at New Life. And I pray that it happens at churches all across Kearney and all throughout South Central Nebraska and into North Platte. I pray that it happens all over the place. In America today and around the world, people are hearing the message of Jesus and they're giving their lives to him. Why? Because God is passionate about reaching the lost. So the lost, yes, they live here in our own communities and they live in other places of the world bound up by false religion, but God loves them with a passion. There's people here today and hearing my voice and around this world that are bound up and trapped by sin with sexual morality, you know, by drunkenness and by all the other things that Jesus would have hung out with those sinners. And God loves them. There's nothing they can do to cause God to love them less. There's nothing they can do to cause God to love them more. And God's waiting to pour out grace upon them, just like he's waiting to pour out grace upon you today. God's passionate about finding the lost. How passionate are you about finding the lost? Maybe a little questions you can ask yourself. How often do you find yourself praying for the lost to know Jesus? If it's not often enough, then my encouragement to you would be add that to your prayer life. How often do you find yourself going out of your way to share your faith with friends and family and people, even randomly at times, that you run into? Not often enough? I would encourage you to increase that and to practice that. Because that aligns you with God's passionate heart for the lost. Have you been asking God to use your life as a witness for him? That God would use your life to let your light, the light of Christ, shine brightly for others to see? Because if you haven't been praying that, I would, de- I would desperately encourage you, please start praying that prayer. Have you found yourself asking God, God, here am I. Use me. Send me wherever you want to, God. We got... Above all things, God, would you please, would you make my heart beat for the lost like your heart beats for the lost? God, would you break my heart for those that are outside of relationship with you like your heart is broken for those who are outside of relationship with you? Because if you haven't found yourself on your knees praying a prayer like that, my encouragement to you is find yourself there often. God, break my heart for the lost like your heart breaks for the lost. And you too will discover that spiritual truth of God's passion for the lost.
But it doesn't end there. Luke chapter 15 gives us another essential truth. And it says this, that God finds joy when the lost are found. Yes, that God's heart is full of joy when the lost are found. Take a look at these two passages here. First about the sheep in verses 5 and 6. And when he, when he has found it, the shepherd, when he has found the sheep, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. Joyfully. And when he arrives, he will call together his friends and his neighbors saying, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. Notice the joy in this. But that's not where he ends. To make sure that we truly understand that God's heart's full of joy when the lost are found. He goes on to say this in verse 9. And when she finds it, being she finding the coin, she will call all of her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. Notice the joy. The joy of the shepherd does what? When he finds the sheep, he doesn't kick it. Although, that could, be, it could bring some joy. I got it. It's not the kind of joy we're talking about. He gently picks up the sheep, not in like a, oh, what have you been doing? I can't believe you. And then shakes the sheep, you know, for a half mile back. I can't, can you, I can't believe that you caused me to walk that way. And the, the sheep's just like, ah, ah, you know, I mean. You got the tongue hanging out, the whole works. Eyes getting ready to pop out. That's not what happens. Takes the sheep, picks it up, does what? Puts it on his shoulders. A restful place. A place that says, basically, I know you're the one who wandered away, but I'm going to be the one that the joy in my heart carries you back. You realize that's what God has done for each of you. When God found all of us in our darkness, he picked us up and he put us on his shoulders and he carried us back. And you know how some of you, some of you just kind of wanted to hang your head low in shame about how lost you were. But you know what God really wanted you to do? He wanted you to do like what my grandchildren wanted last week. Papa, put me on your shoulders. You get up on the shoulders, right? And they're, they're just like put their hands up and try not to hit their head on, on door jams and just have a blast. It's with joy in the heart of the shepherd that he picks us up and he carries us back. It's with joy in the heart of the woman that finds the coin that wants to call all the people around and celebrate. Check this out. It's with joy in the heart of the father that he wants to bring a large crowd around and celebrate that which was lost has been found. That's God's heart. In fact, he goes on to say, Jesus teaches us that in verse 10, this is the kind of joy that's happening in heaven. He goes, in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. That joy comes from God's ownership of you. He owns you. And when the lost of which he owns comes back, there's a celebration that happens in heaven. That joy comes from the fact that you, you've always belonged to God, even when you were running. When the son was running from the father, he was still the son of the father. When the sheep was running from the shepherd, he was still a sheep of the shepherd. When the coin, you know, fled, like, isn't that crazy how coins get legs like that sometimes? And they fled underneath a couch cushion, it was still, it still belonged to the owner. Your life still belongs to God. So today, no matter how lost you are, no matter how far you've drifted away from God, you are still 
owned by God. No matter how close you think you are or how much you think you've figured out and how much you think you're in control, (laughs) you still belong to God. Think with me about something that you lost and the joy that you would get if you found it. Just think about it. What's something that you've lost that if you could get it back, it would bring you great joy? Like some of you guys I'm looking out right now, I can tell. Your number one answer would be this. If I could get my hair back, that would be awesome. Some of you wives are thinking to yourself, yes, if I could nudge my husband right now, I'd tell him, yeah, you know, you've lost your mind. If you could get that back, it would bring me great joy. There's a lot of things that we've lost. You may have lost some money, but on a serious note, maybe you've lost somebody in death. You were like, man, if I could just have that moment back, that would bring me great joy. Or for some of you that are youth or young adults in here, you know, you've, you've lost your virginity. And you're like, if I could just have that back, that would bring me great joy. Or some of you, you've lost significant relationships. And you're thinking to yourself, if I could just get that relationship back, that would bring me great joy. What's something that you've lost that would bring you great joy? For some of you, it's your passion for God. If I could just get that passion back for God, it would bring me great joy. Well, think about whatever you've lost, that if you had it back right now, if it was in your hands, if you could picture it, it's back. It's in your hands. It's back as a piece of your heart. It would bring you such joy, wouldn't it? Now, the joy that God experiences when one lost person comes to know him is exponentially greater. Greater than anything that you could ever muster up, any kind of joy that you could drum up inside of your heart for that one lost, materialistic, soulful, emotional peace. God's joy of when one lost person comes to know him is exponentially greater. It doesn't even compare to your earthly joy. It's something beyond those charts. That's that's the joy that God experiences when one lost person comes to know him. So you can be a part of helping that process by sharing your story as often as possible. Did you realize when you share your story of how God rescued your life and what Christ really means to you, and that inspires someone else to follow Jesus, did you realize that when you're doing that, you are filling God's heart with joy? Wow. What a great assignment to give yourself. A great assignment to give yourself is to figure out how much joy you can fill God's heart with. If you, if, you want, if you want to do that, you just got to be about the Father's business, which is seeking and saving that which is lost. And you'll fill God's heart with joy. What, a, what an amazing concept. Central truth number three, though. God is eager to forgive the repentant. Eager to forgive. But he's looking for an element. He's looking for repentance. Take a look at this passage in Luke chapter 15. In verse 18 and 19, Jesus is talking to us about the son who is returning to the father. The son says, I will go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. The repentance in the son's heart is what moved the father to reestablish him as a son again, instead of just the servant that he was asking for, and to throw the massive party. It's repentance. Repentance. God's looking for repentance. And repentance is us when we're heading one direction, 
We're making foolish decisions and we make a 180 degree turn and we decide to head the opposite direction. That's basically repentance. God, I'm walking away from you, but I'm gonna turn my life around and I'm gonna walk towards you. God's looking for that out of our lives. And when God sees that, God wants to badly pour out grace upon you. You realize God has enough grace for everyone. You realize that God's heart is full of grace. You do realize that the well of grace in God's heart never runs dry on this earth. You do realize that in life, the life after this earth requires no grace. Grace is only required on this planet because grace covers the multitude of sins that separates us from God. So what do you think God wants to do with that well of grace that's in his heart right now? Store it up? Storing it up for what? Storing it up for the next season when, you know, Jesus comes for his church and we all spend eternity with him in heaven? No, because it's worthless then. It's not needed then. Grace is needed now. So what do you think God wants to do with that full heart of grace? He wants to pour it out. He wants to give it away. He wants every drop to be spent on the heart of humanity so that every single person, no matter what their race, no matter what their color, no matter what their language, no matter what their country is, no matter whether they're wrapped up in false religion or some kind of a sexual morality or whether they're just walking the streets of Carney, lost, completely, unchurched, away from God, not even knowing about him, he wants to shake out every little drop of grace because any grace that's left in the heart of God is wasted grace. Grace beyond this earth is not needed. God is shaking out his heart on humanity, drawing people to himself. God, he's looking for that repentive heart to pour it out upon. That's what 2 Peter 3.9 tells us. It says that the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to what? He wants everyone to repent. So what's, what's your move today? Your move, your move should be this. If there's sin separating you from God, repent. Yeah, Jeff, but man, I, I've repented of this thing over and over and over again. Good, repent again. I would say to you what Jesus said to the woman who was called an adultery woman, go and sin no more. I would encourage you, live a life that's holy before God. I mean, give it your best. Give, give it your all. Live a life that's holy before God so that your life might be a tool that God can continue to use. But when you're in need of repentance, seek it. When you're in need of God's grace, repent. Run to God. His grace, his grace is what, is what dominates your separation from him. His grace is what allows your heart to be melded with his. If you need it, you use it. But I would encourage you, live a life that's holy before God. If you're here today and you're outside of a relationship with God, I mean, you need to, you need to repent and say, God, my life is broken and I'm trying to fix everything on my own, but I can't do it. Kneel down before God. Repent, God, like the son did. God, I've sinned against you, I've sinned against others. I've blown it in so many different ways. I'm probably not even worthy of being your son or your daughter. But if you'll take me back, I want to be in your family. 
If you'll accept me in, I want to be part of your family. What you're going to discover is the arms of a father, which is the sense of grace, wrapped around you, pulling you close to himself. If you do that today, I just ask you to do one thing for me. Fill out the contact card that's in front of you. Put your name on it. Mark, I'm committing my life to Christ, or I'm recommitting my life to Christ. And then in any of our venues, bring that card down to the altar while we sing in a time of worship. Or wait till the end of the service and bring it down and lay it on the altar as a symbolic statement of, God, I'm laying my life down. I'm dying to you that I might truly come alive. And see, today, while we're all here, we're practicing, really, this last, this last essential truth, which is that God commands us to help the lost find him. Did you realize that? God commands you. This is not a suggestion. It's a command. Take a look at what Matthew has to say about it. It says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I've given you. That's our job. Right? That's all of our jobs. And be sure of this. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. There's a commandment for us to be a part of what God's doing. And you are perfectly qualified for it. If you've experienced God's grace by saying, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and my leader. Know this. You have the Holy Spirit working on your behalf. Know this. God's the one who's pulling people to himself. It's, it's not your job to save people. You get to assist God in the process. God's pulling people towards himself, and you just happen to be in their way. Now, that could be a good thing or a bad thing. You're in their way to assist them along, or you're in, your, or you're in their way to show them what a bad model, a bad example of what Christ following really looks like. You got two, two shots at this thing. Let's pick the right one. Let's assist God in the process by being people that say, God, change my heart, that my heart would beat more like yours, that my heart would beat with a passion for the lost. God, use me to be a witness for you. God, help me, when I look at this world, help me to be passionate about the lost like you're passionate about the lost. So today, today God's wanting your heart to line up with his. You know, the best way to do that is to spend some time in worship, to spend some time in praise, to spend some time just celebrating how great God is, but also to spend some time kneeling down at altars that are in the front of our auditoriums by humbling ourselves and repenting to God, by humbling ourselves and crying out to God, by kneeling down and saying, God, I want my heart to look more like yours. Let my heart be broken for the lost. And you, you wait until God breaks your heart for the lost. You go about your day and you let God break your heart for the lost. That's the type of church God's looking for. Let Luke chapter 15 make a spiritual alignment in you and line you back up with God's heart today. Let's spend the next few moments in worship and in praise to him, allowing our hearts to get lined up with God's hearts so that we can go out of these doors today and be people that fulfill God's mission on this earth to seek and to save the lost. That's priority number one. Why don't you stand with me? Father, I praise you. I thank you that you're in complete control and that, Lord, you have grace enough that's sufficient for my sin 
is sufficient for the sins of those that are hearing my voice, and it's sufficient for those that are, that are all around our planet today. That, Lord, inside of your heart is a well of grace. That, Lord, you're wanting to pour out drop after drop upon the hearts of humanity. Because when you created humanity, you said it was very good. And you've not changed your mind. You have not changed your mind. As we look, God, and we read our newspapers and we see our televisions and we see horrific things happening all over our planet where one human being's doing something horrific to another human being. Lord, in your heart, you're still, you're still the same. You love humanity. But your heart, your heart breaks for the pain that we cause each other. But your heart also breaks for our lostness that's going to keep us in eternity away from you if it's not corrected. Lord, may our heart beat like yours does for the lost. May our hearts cry out for the lost to know Jesus like yours does. May we couple with you, team up with you, and follow your command to go into the world and make followers of you, to seek and save the lost and to train them to do what you do. Lord, transform our hearts during this worship time. I pray over our congregation that you would literally break our heart. Our heart would literally weep before you as we consider the lost. With our eyes closed, Lord, show us, flash in front of our face, flash in our eyes the faces of those, God, that are lost, that you put in our life, that, Lord, you're wanting us to couple with you to help reach. And may those faces literally break our hearts as we cry out to you, asking you, God, show us, give us opportunities, put words in our mouth to love them, put extra levels of love inside of our heart, grace in our heart, Lord, to reach out and to love the world so that the world might know that Jesus is alive. Lord, let our light shine that the world might see Jesus. Amen.